Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, we have a very special guest, Brian St. Pierre from Precision Nutrition. Brian is renowned for his expertise in performance nutrition. He is a registered dietitian with a master's in food science and human nutrition, as well as a long list of credentials and publications, including five different books. Pro sports organizations like the San Antonio Spurs and the Cleveland Brown have hired him for nutrition coaching and consulting. Uh, but first and foremost, Brian is a coach. He is a PN coach and he is a PN educator and he helps run the education programs like Precision Nutrition Level 1 and 2 certification courses at Precision Nutrition. So we're going to dive deep into many aspects today, as you probably would have guessed, being that he is from Precision Nutrition. And if you've listened to my other episode with another PN expert, Krista Dixon-Scott, which I will link in the show notes, you know that we don't stick to just talking about the science. We dive much deeper and we talk about mindset, human connection, emotional intelligence, behavior change. And with Brian, we touch on all of those aspects, as well as being a great leader, building a great culture, and dive deep into sports performance and what it means to be a coach in nutrition for professional athletes. You guys are going to take away so much from this episode, and it was an absolute pleasure and an honor for me to have Brian on the show and to have a conversation with him as somebody who has learned from him literally because I've done every certification course that Precision Nutrition offers and read just about every book they have put out as well. Um, I'm a huge fan of what they do. I have been a huge fan, and they've influenced me a lot over the years in how I coach and how I deliver my coaching service. Um, I always use the hashtag inside of my, uh, my Instagram more than macros. And and this is a good example why. Because just providing macros to a client is not enough. We need to provide education. We need to provide connection. We need to communicate properly. We need to build adherence and behavior change. There's so many things that go into the art of coaching. And today, Brian St. Pierre is going to deliver more than just a little bit of value inside of all of those realms. So I'm really, really, really excited for you guys to listen to this podcast. If you like this show and you want to help me grow the show, reach more people and help more individuals listen to this completely free and learn how to better serve their lifestyles in training and nutrition, please do me a huge favor. Screenshot this episode, head over to Instagram, post it on your story and tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom and tag Precision Nutrition. I'm going to link both those in the show notes. Brian is not a huge Instagram guy, so tag Precision Nutrition for us. We want to see who is listening to this, and we want to share it on our story as well. And once again, thank you for listening to this episode. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to this awesome interview with the one and only Brian St. Pierre. All right, Brian, uh, as I just mentioned to you, man, I've been following you for a really long time, so this is exciting for me. This is the second PN coach that I've had on the, the podcast and, and two different people, you and Krista, that I've followed for a really long time, looked up to. And whether you realize it or not, you've had a huge influence on me just because I've gone through both PN level one and two, and you guys have had a huge influence on what we do inside my coaching business. So first and foremost, thank you. Um, and I think the audience would thank you as well, because like I said, you guys have influenced and there's thousands of people listening to this that 
have had that influence because of you. Um, but before I kind of keep ranting on about your story, I want you to have the chance to tell it. So for the people who may not be familiar with you and your background, um, let's dive into uh, who Brian is and, and what your story is. Yeah, well, um, yeah, thanks for having me. It's always, always nice and always a little weird to hear people say like, oh, I followed you for years and you, you know, it had such a huge influence on me because, you know, I, I work remotely. So it's like, a, <laughs> it's, it's always like a, a funny, like a funny uh, combination of two things. It's flattering and it's, it's awesome. That's the whole point. But it's also like, it's funny that there are real people out in the world yeah. like, getting inspired by it. Right? I totally get that. So, yeah, I mean, for me, who I am and like what I do and where I've come from, um, I can give you the short version and the long version, right? So like I have my bachelor's in nutrition, I have my master's in nutrition, uh, registered dietitian, certified strength coach, right? Been all been at PN for seven and a half years now. So I've been highly involved in all of our certifications and have taken all of our certifications. Um, so that's like the short of it. I mean, the long of it is like, you know, I, I'm a regular guy, like I'm, I'm a dad of three kids. I've, I'm married to a, a woman who owns her own business. So we got a lot going on. So I'm always kind of balancing and juggling all those real life things that like regular people juggle and have to deal with. Um, so I think that's, that's made me a far better coach over time, like learning uh, when I was young and I was new and it was like, oh, this is so easy. Why can't you just eat eight meals a day like me as a, you know, 20 year old kid who's got no other <laughs> obligations. Um, so it, it made me a far better, far better coach once I became once I just got into other aspects of life and it's like, oh, it makes you far more empathetic. So, you know, that's a big part of my identity. Um, and I was actually an engineering major for three years before I got into nutrition. So it's a, it was an interesting like swerve. Um, but I had been always into training and, and eating as a, as an athlete, as an average athlete who wanted to be better. Um, so that was, you know, one of the, one of the things that helped me most was getting into training and, and eating, uh, eating well and following John Berardi. I mean, he's one of my very first people I followed online. And so I was fortunate enough to end up working for him at PN. Um, and yeah, and then I switched like three years in and I think it actually really helped me in a lot of ways as a nutrition coach. What you really learn in, in engineering is problem solving, right? How to like strip things down and what's most likely, what's least likely, how can we help people find the right tool for the right job kind of idea. And so I think that's, that really helped shaped a lot of my thinking and the way I, the way I approach things. Um, and then, yeah, and so I've been at PN ever since. Well, no, I've worked at Crusty Sports Performance for three years as an intern, as strength coach, um, which was awesome learning experience under Eric and, and Tony Genelcore at the time. And um, that helped springboard me into, you know, working at PN. And I've been here ever since as the director of performance nutrition. So that's my, my main title. Um, I do all kinds, wear all kinds of different hats at PN. I write articles, I go out and speak, uh, I help create a lot of our, our content. I help create a lot of our certification products or coaching products. So I wear multiple hats. I love it. You guys are very multifaceted. I feel like you guys are everywhere all the time, which is a really impressive thing. It's a really good thing. Um, I'd love to hear uh, how you got into training and nutrition in the first place. I know you were an athlete um, and there's that saying, and this is not me calling you a bad athlete, but there's that saying like bad athletes make great coaches or something along those lines. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd love to hear like what made you go down that route and why you decided to intern because there's a lot of coaches listening. And I've had the question of where should I start many times? And my first piece of advice is, go work for free for somebody because that's the best way you can learn. And that's what I did for a long time too. And, and you shared that um, we actually have two people in common as far as who we intern for. So I'd love to hear your story as to what made you steer down that path um, and what made you choose Eric and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, I mean, I was an engineering major for, th uh, for three years, right? 
And but I spent more time reading about training and nutrition than doing my engineering work because um, I didn't love what I was doing. I mean, I loved the idea and the concept of engineering, but I, I loved the application of like training and eating well and then seeing the results. And it, and it was, um, I don't know, it was something that just I really gravitated to. I mean, a big part of it is when I was in about eighth grade, like my dad lost like 25 pounds didn't really talk much about it. You know, he just kind of changed his intake and our whole family changed our eating, but my parents weren't one to be like, oh, we're on a diet. Or they just kind of, we just kind of did it. And they didn't talk a whole lot about it. And my dad had been a big exerciser when he was little. I remember going to the gym with him when I was little um, and he was like in really good shape. And then, you know, he had three kids and my parents owned two businesses and slowly over time, like life accumulated, right? And so I kind of saw this, I was old enough where I saw this transformation uh, and I kind of just connected the dots. And so I started to exercise more to help me be a less average athlete, um, see if I could you know, be stronger, more explosive, faster. And so that's where kind of really like my passion for it started, I would say. You know, so once I was in eighth grade, going into high school, um, and I started training seriously as like a sophomore. And then, you know, I was still not a spectacular athlete. You know, um, I was fine. You know, I, I competed, I played varsity, but I wasn't... Uh, incredible but what allowed me to compete at a higher level was you know focusing on my training and nutrition and then as I got into like college um and then outside of college like you know I, I switched over to nutrition and then was fortunate enough I was playing men's league rugby so I had trained and gotten bigger um and I had an opportunity like men's league rugby will try to get you to play for their team by hooking you up with a job right? And this was like how they operated like oh yeah we can get you this one guy was like oh I can get you an internship at Mike Boyles and like oh sweet right I wanted to be a strength coach and so I I talked to his connection the guy's like yeah no I can't just give you an internship at Boyle's like you kidding me there's a whole application process and I was like oh, okay well so what can we do so I talked to him for quite a while he's like you know who Eric Cressy is I'm like of course you know I read T Nation this was years ago um and because I knew Eric was from Maine just mm -hmm. like me he's like well you should get in touch with him and um just to connect and start to network and so I reached out and um this was before Eric even started Cressy Performance. Like, yeah, come on down and observe and just kind of watch me coaching people. And and when I finally was like going to do that, right before I went down, I, I emailed him to confirm. And he's like, yeah, don't come down right now. I'm, I'm leaving Excel, starting Cressy Performance. So the first day I went down was the day they got their like training equipment, right? So like I helped Pete Dupuy, the, his business guy, like put their power racks together from Elite FTS that had no instructions. <laughs> right, we were just looking at a picture on his computer in his office and come back out and put pieces together. And, and so it actually like worked out really well. I think they were impressed like how I problem solved and tried to, to figure it out. With, and they just kind of said, hey, you want to you intern? And I was like, hell yeah. Um, so it just kind of worked out. My parents were incredulous. You know, like, you were going to be an engineer. And now you're interning as a strength coach for free. You know, it was like this <laughs> to them. It was crazy. Right. And, and Cressy Performance was small. It was just this little hole in the wall in a in a dilapidated baseball uh, like training facility, right? Like a hitting cage, and it was not what it is today. So my parents came down the first time, and they're like, "Really?" But like, I saw the potential. I knew how brilliant Eric was. I had seen his writing. I knew who he was working with, which at the time was just mostly high school athletes, but I had gotten just a few pro guys. But I just had a sense that this was a guy who who knew what was going on, knew how to how to train people and was going to go somewhere and do awesome things. And I was hoping to, to learn and help contribute to that. So yeah, man, if you ever have an opportunity to learn from someone like that, even if it's for free, like 
it is worth it because you'll take away so many nuggets and and make so many connections and and open up the door to so many possible opportunities as long as you're willing to put the work in it's invaluable yeah i 100 percent. it's it's crazy too because i'm sure you can show your parents eric cressy now and look like look what it turned out to be <laughs> oh of course yeah they're they're well aware of eric and what, what he's accomplished and you know eric and i stay in touch so you know it's it's my parents don't doubt it now. In yeah. the moment, it was like, you know, what are you doing? Um, but they had faith in me, and they're like, okay, you know, we've set our piece, but you know, we'll let you chart your own course. So, do you feel like that was the biggest uh, that that moment and that connection to Eric and, and your kind of your uh, experience there was the biggest reason you went down the sports performance path? Um, one reason I ask and kind of like triggers my curiosity because I always played soccer growing up, and and this is very common with. And I, I started in training and then I shifted into nutrition and a lot of people have this commonality where we get into it and it's like, I'm only going to train athletes. That's all I'm going to do. Like, I'm just going to train soccer players. It's the best thing. And like, then you realize like a lot of athletes are broke and it's very <laughs> difficult to find athletes that will work with a new trainer and you kind of slowly shift to gen pop. And I later realized that I really loved working with gen pop. Um, but did you have that moment and you just stuck to it or how did that kind of evolve into what it became? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I initially set out much like you as an athlete i think you think of yourself as like working with more athletes right so it's like oh i can help these athletes do things that i wasn't able to do or they could learn from my mistakes they could start this sooner and get even more benefit and so i mean that's when i started uh so i was a, a nutrition major when i switched right i was on the rugby team and i was super into this stuff so like i was training a lot of my teammates uh helping them with their nutrition so i was just Training and working with athletes was like what exactly I had in my mind. That's what I read about. That's what I worked on. That's what I considered myself to be, right? So I wasn't reading about working with general population, even in nutrition. And I, and I regret this now. But like when I was doing my, my bachelor's, like I didn't give a lot of thought or attention to skills that were being taught or developed in working with regular people. It's like, oh, that's, I don't need to, that's not what my focus is, right? I want to work, worry about nutrient timing. I need, we need to worry about all of these marginal gains. Like, man, that's, that's not important. Um, in hindsight, you look back and you're like, man, I was an idiot, right? That would have been super helpful. I mean, I remember, and I went back to school for my master's and I had a very different perspective uh, when I did that. But in undergrad, it was like, no, I was super focused on working with athletes because I had been an athlete and that's who I started working with in the first place. Um, and then I, you know, got my CSCS and started working at Eric's. But even when working at, at Cressy Performance, there was a good chunk of like, you know, quote unquote, regular people um, who I had just as much fun, if not more, training, right? They they came in, they worked hard, they were balancing a whole lot of things. Um, and they had life experience at the time that I didn't have, right? So I was able to learn from those people. So yeah, I mean, that's where I started. But much like you, I get just as much joy and pleasure from working with regular people as I do from, from working with elite athletes. There, there are different obstacles, but there's a lot of the same commonalities that underlie at all populations. What do you feel like is the biggest difference between the two? Like, I guess, like, difficulties-wise, right? Because I think a lot of people assume, which sometimes is the case, but a lot of people assume working with athletes, it's like they're going to be committed, they're going to listen to everything I say. And I've had some experience with even some pro athletes that it's, it's actually quite opposite. And they're... <laughs> they're non-responsive. They don't, they're not great at communicating. They don't adhere to the plan. Um, so what, what do you find is the biggest differences? I mean, I think, uh, on average, you do get more. I mean, there are people who are committed to their performance and their bodies. Um, they're used to being coached. So there's a lot more just like, this is just normal, like getting coaching, following mm -hmm. instruction. Um, it's, it's less, 
it's less coaching intensive in the sense of like when I'm working with a, like a, a regular person, right? I have to use a lot more like what I would consider like communication techniques or coaching techniques, like, you know, crucial conversations, motivational interviewing, cognitive behavioral therapy. And you have to use those with athletes too. I'm not suggesting it's not the case. Um, but co athletes in particular are just much more used to directive driven. Hey, just do this thing. Right. And so you can be a little bit more directive and, and give, um, they can oftentimes do more things at once than like a, a, like a regular person who has kids, has a job, has other, other hobbies like a, that are less directly related to training and nutrition. Whereas an athlete, like what you're doing is very directly related to training and nutrition. Having said that, I've worked with many athletes, pro or otherwise, um, especially a lot of pro athletes who aren't always on top of those kind of things because they were the best at what they did in spite of mm. how they trained or how they ate. Right? Oh, they, they had always been the best athlete on their team, even if they ate like crap and didn't actually train with the team. And they weren't an athlete like me, right, who had to scrap and fight for every opportunity to possibly like, even play, let alone like they were just they just stood on the field and they were the best athlete out there um so it's you definitely get a mix uh and it's certainly that can be a challenge but there's also there's lots of athletes like tom brady right athletically he's not an overwhelming athlete relative to his peers in the nfl right but what's helped him be so successful is like focusing so much on what's within his control and can help him do better so you get a lot of athletes like that too so i think there's there's a mix, but on average, they can, they're used to being coached more and they have more direct application of that coaching to exactly what they're working on, right? So for a lot of other people, like I'm eating better and exercising better to help, you know, my entire life experience, but it's not like there's an immediate direct application to, wow, I'm now way better at my job because I can squat 300 pounds, right? Whereas with an athlete, there's a direct correlation to the training and the nutrition to their athletic output. So I think that makes a difference. I, I, would you say it's um, almost a, just a different style of uh, kind of like the art of coaching, right? And I think with some general population, you might even have to maybe teach them what coaching is or like why it's valuable. Because even, and I'm sure you guys experience this even more because you guys have been doing it longer than me, but even nutrition coaching, especially when John started PN was kind of like, what is that? Like, mm -hmm. you know, nutrition coaching, is that a thing? And in, in online coaching, and I think John started that technically, but <laughs> in some um, ways, right? yeah, totally. I think for athletes, it's probably just like, like you kind of said, like kind of second nature. Yeah, I think it's definitely knowing what a coach's role is, right? When it comes to like learning nutrition, I think a lot of expectation is like, oh, you're just going to give me a meal plan, right? Like, which is not, as you and I know, like not what, what good coaching usually entails. It can for certain populations. Um, but for the vast majority of people, like that's not not what coaching is or, or what it's going to be. So I, I think there's, yeah, I think that's that's probably a good way of putting it. Like with, with most of their clients, they have to understand first what a coach's role is going to be in their nutrition coaching. Whereas for an athlete, it's it's just another coach in their team of coaches, right? So it's, it's they don't need that explanation because it's like, it's so built in and baked into their everyday life experience. Do you, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, is, how to make things personal or individualized within a group setting like that? Because I, I don't want to say that group coaching doesn't work, but it's it's more difficult when you don't have that personal connection. When you're working with a full team, is there is is there a difficulty with that? Is there a barrier, or is it just a matter of kind of like finding more time to really connect with each and every individual? Yeah, I think it's a mix of things, right? So when you think about like when you're training a group of people, 
oftentimes a lot of the, a lot of the athletes or, or individuals are doing a lot of the same things or working from the same template, but there are going to be uh, pieces that you personalize because this, this guy's got a hip issue. So he's not going to do this version of a squat. He's going to do you know, this, this lower body exercise, or this girl's got this thing going on, like her shoulders wonky. So we don't do overhead pressing. So she'll just do X, Y, or Z. Um, you can apply a lot of the same stuff. If, if you're doing nutrition coaching in groups, like most people need to work on same underlying principles or skills, right? It's not, it's not like, okay, you need to only eat this and this person needs to only eat that. Like, no, there are some fundamental principles that apply to every eating style, every personal preference, right? Like eating more minimally processed whole foods, fewer processed foods, getting inadequate protein and vegetables. Like there are some skills or principles that you can teach everybody no matter how they want to apply it in their own personal life, right? Whether those proteins are coming from animals or plants or a mix, personal choice. I can help you choose better quality options, but the actual application is up to you. So I think it's just like with training, it's about knowing what the principles are and then knowing how to adjust how you teach them to the person you're working with. Like, hey, I know this person's vegetarian. So we're talking about, we're talking about like tofu and tempeh and seitan, uh, and maybe some animal-based options too, if they're lacto-ovo or pescatarian or whatever the case might be. So it's knowing what those underlying principles are uh, and how they apply to everybody, and then how to adjust those principles to fit individual preferences and needs. And you can teach people how to do that collectively, but you can also, like, much like when you're training people on the floor, pull people aside, have small individual sessions and discussions. Um, but there's a lot you can do on a broad scale like population-wide, teaching in key principles, and then you individualize it more from there. Like, because it's, depending on how you teach, right? I think I'll oftentimes people are like, oh, I'm a paleo guy, or I'm a keto guy, or I'm a macros guy. Then you're painting yourself into a corner as a coach, right? Once keto fades or intermittent fasting fades, because these things are all cyclical and you've been around long enough, you, you see them kind of come and go in different packages and in different ways of doing things. They're, they're all different approaches that people can use or enjoy or employ, but they're not universal solutions. Universal solution doesn't actually exist. Uh, what exists is multiple ways of accomplishing the same goal that all follow the same fundamental principles, right? They're just modifications of each other. So knowing what those fundamental principles are and then teaching those to people and then helping them personalize those principles to their own preferences and needs is, is how I would go about doing it. And that's how I've done it working with teams, Right here are the big targets we're trying to hit for everybody. And then I can help each player do that on their own preferences and in their own way. I love that breakdown. Um, one thing that came up to me is, uh, and I'm not, I'm not a huge basketball guy, but I remember, uh, I think it was LeBron James. was like, I don't know if it would be called tabloids, but like things of like LeBron's gone paleo. And it was like this big thing. Do you, do you find that you have to explain to athletes quite a bit of, like why they can't just jump on to the latest fad or, or necessarily like why they can't even just diet. Cause I've had this conversation with many, I've worked with a lot of high level CrossFitters um, who jump on a path like that. And I'm like, well, based on your activity level, you probably shouldn't be dieting in general. We should stay away from keto or paleo and things like that and focus on balance and getting enough food. Do you have these conversations with a lot of them because they see these things and you have to kind of constantly bring it back to just simplifying it? I don't know about constantly, but I mean, athletes are regular people, right? They're just regular people who are really skilled at moving their bodies. Um, you know, so I, they, they see a lot of the same conversations on social media. They watch a lot of the same TV shows. They hear a lot of the same, 
ideas about what good nutrition really is. You know, they hear from their mom, they hear from their cousin. So you have a lot of those same conversations you have with everybody else. Like, hey, man, so I saw this thing on Instagram, right? And so they ask you about it. And so I think it depends on how they're asking. Sometimes they're just genuinely curious. Sometimes it's like, hey, I'm going to start doing paleo. What do you think about that? That's actually a loaded question, right? It's not, it's not oh, no, you definitely shouldn't do paleo because they've already told you they're planning on doing it, right? So you don't come in with like a hard no. You come in with like, okay, first I'm going to seek, like the Stephen Covey idea, seek to understand, then seek to be understood. Oh, why is that interesting to you? Like, what do you find curious? What do you find uh, helpful about that? What do you think it's going to give you? So you make it more of a collaborative conversation mm. and then you can help steer that conversation in different directions. Or if they're really committed to it, it's like, all right, well, let's, let's test it and then see how you respond, right? Like how is... How's your energy? How's your sleep? How's your performance? You know, I do have some concerns because X, Y, and Z, right? Oh, going low, going keto when you've been used to having lots of carbs and you're playing basketball, you know, there's keto flu to consider. This might impact your sleep and your performance negatively. Like if you're really dead set on doing this, I can help you monitor it and make sure it's, you know, going okay. Or if it's not, we need to have an escape plan. So it, I think there's different ways to have the conversations. Um, but it's a similar conversation that you're going to have with a regular client who comes in and is like, I saw this thing on Dr. Oz. I've got to try, you know, X, <laughs> Y, or Z. If your if your answer is no, 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 you shouldn't do that, you you have now just pushed that client away. They're like, what does this dude know? He's not Dr. Oz, right? This is just my local trainer who might be smart and probably is actually right. Um, but the expectation or the perception is like, you don't have the expertise. You're not you're not on TV, right? You're not the same authority. So fighting back against that's usually going to be a losing battle. So learning how to work within that, turn it into a collaborative conversation, steer that conversation, or if they're dead set on it, like treating it as an experiment where you are helping to monitor and having an escape plan if, if it's not going well. We're going to steer back to coaching um, outside of nutrition because I think you just, you just helped quite a bit. A lot of, like a lot of people need to understand uh, what goes into coaching outside of just macros and things like that. And you've already mentioned a few different really good books. And um, you've talked a little bit about some things that I've learned out of uh, like emotional intelligence, which is another really good book. So I want to bring it back to that. Um, but while we're still on the topic of nutrition, my next question is, is kind of like, what are the biggest mistakes you see? And how are you structuring? Because um, you're talking about how it can not always be so different from everyday people. So I'd really be interested to hear like, what are the common mistakes you see athletes make? Like as you step into a team or into an individual athlete's plan and, and dieting, um, what are you seeing that they're doing? I don't want to say the words wrong. Cause like you said, that's probably not the best way to attack the problem, but um, what are you seeing people doing wrong and how are you kind of structuring their plans um, as professional athletes? Yeah. I mean, honestly, what you see a lot of is like a lot of athletes are, are professional athletes are young. Um, they don't have cooking skills, right? They're like just out of college where every meal was made for them at, uh, at, you know, at their, um, mess hall. I couldn't think of the actual term, right? So they, they oftentimes come in and it's like, I don't know how to make that, right? So they come in and they, fortunately, a lot of teams today have cooks on site, have chefs on site, or at least have catering. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity for them to get good food in, but if they don't like what the team is offering, in my experience, you know, they go to Chick-fil-A on their way home so they can, while they can eat some food while they're playing video games, right? They're like regular dudes um, or, or women. If you work with some team, I've worked with some female athletes too. And it's, you know, they're busy. They got a lot going on. I need something quick while I'm going from this thing to this thing. And I don't have cooking skills, nor do I even know where to begin. So I just grab 
what most people grab, right? Fast food options and not always the best ones. It's something tasty, it's something quick. Um, and so in, what I often try to do is like, all right, they're not gonna turn into you know, Emerald overnight. So what are some simple steps we can do to help them if they're still going to get food out of the cafeteria, like make better choices, progressively better choices, right? instead of going to Chick-fil-A, or if you're still gonna go to Chick-fil-A, like let's look at the menu together. What are some things that are acceptable to you that are an improvement upon what you're currently eating? Or if we can get you to something even better, right? Oftentimes there's like a Chipotle or some other semi-fast food that they can make. It's more, it's easier to make better choices. I try to make, make progressively better choices there, while at the same time building skills to make more meals on their own. Like, hey, can they make super shakes? Can they just have stuff on hand? It requires no skill, right? You put a bunch of stuff in a blender, you hit blend, and it's done. And so then they can keep a lot of frozen fruit. They can even keep frozen spinach, protein powder, so that when they're on the road and they come home, it's still there. And they can make a meal without having to like always have fresh food at home. I think that's a that's a challenge in in the like professional ranks that isn't as much of an issue like at the high school or college level because athletes are home much more. But on the professional level, they travel a ton. So, you know, like guys that are have made it and are super wealthy and they can afford to have a chef. But if you're someone new into the league, like you don't know how long you're gonna be there. I mean, having a, a home chef is, is a ton of money, right? So it's there's not there's not as many resources as you might think for some of those new young guys uh, where there's a lot of churn and turnover. So what are some simple things we can do um, to help them make better choices? So it's whether it's at the restaurant they already go to, going to better ones, or helping them give some like MVP options at home. Like what are some minimal viable product options? Like making super shakes, having frozen fruits and vegetables, having protein powder. So at least they can whip something together and it lasts a long time. So when they're on the road for a week and a half and they come home, they can still make it. They don't, it's not like rotting in their fridge. Like, oh, this spinach is bad. This is bad. Screw it. I'm just going to go get takeout pizza. Right. So it's finding little things like that. Um, that's where the biggest differences are where they're, they're, tra they're traveling a lot. Um, and we have to find opportunities like that. But other than that, we're just making progressively better choices, you know, and then ideally at the same time, um, I'm helping the team in the background. Like, okay, how can we make, better offerings in your catering or from your chef that guys like, they're, they're more willing to eat, even if they're technically not as healthy, right? Sometimes teams might be like, all right, we hire a, a chef and we got, they're making, you know, chicken breasts, brown rice, boiled or steamed broccoli. And like, look, this is the healthiest stuff we can make. And guys are like, I'm not eating that. You know, so how can we make a B meal that everyone eats rather than an A meal that everyone just bounces and gets fast food on the way? So it's finding opportunities like that. Now we get them used to eating at the facility and we can slowly kind of crank up the quality a little bit, right? So we establish the behavior first of eating there, getting them to make meals that they'll eat and enjoy. And then we slowly improve what's being offered and it just becomes second nature to them. Are you focused less on macros with a lot of these people because you find it uh, less important than a lot of people would think? Because um, there's a lot of people who will say like, and this is, I think one of the reasons why they think this is because there are some genetic freaks in sports that just eat whatever they want. And they're going to be great athletes regardless. And I don't think that has anything to do with nutrition, but I think people see them eating whatever they want and assume, oh, it's just calories. Just get in your calories and you'll be fine. And, and to an extent, it is energy. I understand that. But do you, do you find that it's less important than people think and it's more about just getting them quality food? Or are you kind of the maestro behind the scenes making sure their meals are balanced with the right macros so the athletes don't even have to think about it? Uh, a little bit of both, okay. right? So to me, I mean, uh, hitting your macros, it's still about, you know, it's, it's a combination of quantity and quality, 
right? They're not like these purely independent variables. I mean, they can be, but neither one's going to end up working out as well as, as it could. If you're only focused on food quality, but people aren't getting enough or they're overeating, right? If they're not getting enough, that's when injuries are at higher risk or if they're eating too much, right? Weight gain can occur, sluggishness. Um, but if they're eating the right amount of macros, but not from high quality foods, over time, that's going to have negative consequences as well. So, you know, I'm always looking for, like, we're improving the food quality, but we're helping to make sure, like, we're, we're providing, hitting all of the big rocks and what, what, what guys are going to need to help them perform their best. So oftentimes what I'll do with teams, and I'm sketching this out because I'm a visual, visual person, um, what I'll do with teams is help create, like, a template for their, like, their meal offerings, right? So, like, okay, we've got one meat option, like a steak or a chicken or what have you, there's a fish option, there's a hot vegetable, there's a salad, there's fresh fruit and there's two warm carbohydrate options or something like that. So we create like a template that their catering team or their chef helps to flesh out to help make sure like there's a well-rounded, um, there are well-rounded options to help make sure they're getting enough protein in a wide array of proteins. And it could be animal or plant-based. We'll often include some, some plant-based ones there too. It depends on the preferences of the team. Um, we're getting plenty of vegetables in there. There's warm options, there's cold options. We're getting some fresh fruit. We're getting quality carbohydrate sources in there, right? We're getting some healthy fats mixed in, oftentimes in the salads or with the carbs, or you know, it'll depend on what the meal makeup is. But we're helping to make sure the quality's good, the taste is good, so that the guys are actually going to eat it, and that we're getting in a, a good mix of like all of our major macronutrients, obviously, and, and vegetables included, um, to help them recover their best, perform their best, you know, and feel their best. So I'm not sitting there trying to figure, okay. You know, Tim Duncan's got to eat 247 grams of protein. Like almost no athlete I've ever worked with has like tracked their macros. It's just not, it's not on their radar. Um, it's not something they're interested in. Trying to get a three-day food log from an athlete is like pulling teeth in my experience. It doesn't happen. Guys are like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, they'll, they'll tell you, yeah, yeah, I'll get that too tomorrow. I'll get that too tomorrow, right? And it just never comes. Um, so getting them to track their macros like forget it it's, it's incredibly unlikely where i find it much more likely is with aesthetic minded individuals so if you're working with clients who have higher level of physique goals like a lot of personal trainers have um a lot of personal trainers are very fit and want to be very fit those are the people who count their macros right religiously um whereas outside of that world it's a far far smaller number and for most athletes it's just even if it's beneficial, it's incredibly unlikely to happen. So what are some other ways we can go about it, right? And so like one of the ways we things we came up with was like our, our hand portions at PN. So I teach the athletes the hand portions to help them build their plate because it functions as a proxy for macro counting, right? We know there's a relatively rough number of X, Y, Z macros in each palm, each fist, each, each, each palm of protein, each fist of vegetables, each cupped handful of carbs, and each thumb of fats. So that gives us a pretty good idea of exactly what they're taking in macro-wise, and we're helping to ensure the quality is good. So we're kind of covering all those bases. Like, no, am I going to know whether they're like exactly eating 247 grams of protein or 250 grams of protein? No, but it's honestly, it's irrelevant for most people, and it's relevant for them. Are they getting in at least, let's say, six palm-sized portions of protein each day? Yeah, and I know each palm-sized portion of protein is providing roughly 25 grams of protein. And I know they're getting at least that as a minimum, plus the protein they're getting from their carb sources, their fat sources, their vegetables. I can, I can project pretty accurately 
what they're getting in just by seeing, you know, getting a rough idea of what they're putting on their plates um, using their hand size portions. So it helps them meet their macros in a very user-friendly way, in a way they can use on the road, at home, at the facility, you know, post-game, like athletes eat in tons of different places, um, on the plane. So using their hands helps them to just portion out their meals, help ensure they're getting in appropriate macros for themselves without having to track and quantify their exact macro intake. I think that's good too, because I think a lot of people think in the reverse, um, like the general population person who is focused on aesthetics, they just want to lose weight, burn belly fat, build muscle, whatever it may be. They, uh, sometimes they actually work better using things like macros because they don't have all the craziness going on. They're not traveling around the world. They're not playing all these different games and it's easy for them to control that. Um, whereas athletes, it's probably like you said, the last thing on their mind, they have so much going on. And I think too, like, maintenance is kind of a moving target. So for athletes, they're burning such a vast, like just such a different amount of calories per day given are they doing two days? Are they strength training today? Is it just practice? Is it a game? Are they on the road? Are they walking from stadium to the, like, you know what I mean? So I think following their hunger cues and having somebody just provide the right portions is probably a better route. And most people would probably assume because the level of an athlete and how advanced they are, they would probably think the opposite of what you just said. Totally. And, and that's just it. I mean, I think, and that's where I go back to what I said earlier. It's like finding the right tool for the job, right? Like macro, using your hands is a tool. Using counting macros on an app is a tool. Um, it's an approach that can help some people sometimes, uh, but it's not for everyone in every scenario. Even if it would be physiologically effective, it is logistically <laughs> unlikely, right, in their life. Um, so I think you have to always kind of marry those two things. Like, yes, physiologically, doing keto with intermittent fasting and carb backloading might be the best option for this person. Logistically, they're just never going to pull that off or they're so far from that that it's going to take a long time for them to progress there, right? So it's, it's kind of knowing, okay, physiologically, what's optimal? And logistically or tactically, what is this person capable of doing right now? What are they ready, willing, and able to do right now? Um, and finding that middle ground, right? Like, okay, they can do this. This may not technically be as good, but it's going to be very effective because they can do it consistently. Whereas, yes, counting macros might be very effective for an athlete, but if they don't do it consistently, then it's not actually a useful tool. Because we're kind of like going down this path, I really want to touch on like the behavior change side of things, communication, just coaching in general. So this could be a random list of books and just ideas that you have, or it can be something that you actually like uh, articulate out with the coaches that you are helping throughout the certification process. But I'm just curious of like, what are the things that, outside of nutrition that are very important for coaches to understand to be effective in this way. Like you are very well-rounded just by the way you're talking. I can see that you know how to communicate these theories and methods and principles to a wide variety of people. Um, and one of the things I took away from a lot of the precision nutrition uh, certification courses and everything I've done is building habits, client communication, connecting to an individual, like things like that, that really don't change how I calculate macros, but they allow me to deliver the macros 10 times more effectively. And I think that's something that a lot of people are missing. It's, it's actually something a lot of certification courses are missing too, mm -hmm. because it's very hard to teach. So not that many people integrate it into their certification course. Um, you guys obviously are very focused on that, which I think is why you guys are so successful. But I'm just, I just want to get your thoughts and, and maybe start a conversation around that, because I think it's such a powerful takeaway for the coaches listening. Yeah, I mean, I, I, have, a, I have a lot of thoughts there. And it's something <laughs> um, we try to really like, balance at PN because it's okay if you're first and you're new to this field like 
we teach something called like difficult, difficult versus difficult, easy, right? Like calculating someone's macros is something that's like difficult, easy. Yeah, it takes time and effort to figure out how to do, but it, you're doing it on a calculator or you're doing it, it's a safe thing. I can just sit on my, sit here at my desk and with pen and paper, figure out someone's macros. Even if it's difficult, it's, it's an easy, difficult thing, right? Whereas a difficult, difficult thing is actually having meaningful conversation and conversations that help facilitate change with clients, right? Like just giving them their macro plan that's not hard, right? That's not uh, having a crucial conversation with a client, right? So I think there's, it's recognizing like, what are the most valuable skills I can learn to be an effective coach? Knowing nutrition is a, a piece of that. Yes, you need to know like what, what are good choices, right? viewing things uh, on a spectrum instead of all or none, understanding like minimum protein needs and the, you know, vegetables and, and understanding the fundamental principles of good nutrition. But after that, for coaching most people, you don't need to know or dive into all of the depth of, you know, incredible workout nutrition timing concepts or nutrient timing or, I mean, you can, and if you just want to know it, but it's not going to help actually the vast majority of, of if you're working with, with like gen pop or regular people, it's not going to help move the needle for them, right? That's playing with the margins. Right? What are the big rocks? So figuring out the big rocks is key, but then it's what's even more beneficial, like you just said, is knowing how to communicate those things to people in a way that helps them actually facilitate change. Because most people know they should eat more fruits and vegetables, right? Like this is something that's been taught to them. We've been teaching it for, for decades and decades and decades, right? The first food guide in the 1930s told people to eat more fruits and vegetables. And yet, you know, 10% of the U.S. population eats the recommended amounts of fruits and vegetables a day. So what does that tell you, right? When we're in, and we're worried about whether they're doing paleo or going, doing this or timing that when only 10% of people are getting five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. How do you help facilitate like unsexy ideas, right? It's not, a, it's not a new compelling theory. It's not, oh, this is an exciting way of, of eating. Sometimes it's just getting in those big rocks. And so one of the ways to do that is to learn far better communication skills, right? When I was a young coach, I mean, I just info dumped on people. Oh, you should eat fruits and vegetables because they do X, Y, Z, you know, blah, blah, blah. They have all these health benefits. That doesn't actually tell anyone to change, right? When you talk to your doctor and he's like, you know, you should really lose some weight. Like, wow, that's helpful, right? Like, <laughs> you're right, but it's not helpful. So how can you be helpful, right? So I think that's where learning communication skills, learning, taking things from other domains that are good at this kind of stuff, like therapy and counseling. Or not that you become a therapist or a counselor, but what are some of the techniques they use to help people change their behavior? And how can you apply those things in your coaching practice? That's where learning about things like motivational interviewing or crucial conversations, um, or even Stephen Covey's like seven habits of highly effective people. Those are all great communication uh, skills that you're going to build that apply to coaching, that apply to parenting, that apply to interpersonal communication with coworkers and friends. I mean, these aren't just skills that like you develop in a vacuum. They're skills that apply across your, your your life and help you in a whole host of domains so you know that would be like one of the biggest things we try and help convey is like building these skills and, and this tool set so that you can actually help people make more consistent change because you're not just info dumping or, or just being an accountant like a macro accountant right like if you're just a macro accountant as a coach like hey i put together this macro plan for you here you go like you're going to be replaced tomorrow by a calculator that outputs a plan, right? They can, we have, we created one, right? We have tools that can do those things. 
So if that's like your, if you think that's the job of a coach, I think you're misunderstanding what coaching is, right? Coaching is about communication, guidance, facilitating change, and the tools that help you do that um, are tools borrowed from other domains. So I think that's one thing we really try and teach and, and, and some good starting points I think would be something like seven habits of highly effective people. Great jumping off point, easy to understand and it's applicable in a whole bunch of ways. Motivational interviewing and nutrition and fitness uh, is a book designed to use MI right in the field we work in. And it's much easier to understand and apply than trying to read the whole textbook. Like the whole, you can go for the whole textbook. It's a slog, right? It's a, it's a textbook. You're reading a textbook. Whereas this is more about like applying it in practice. Uh, crucial conversations would be another great tool. Those would be probably the three, the three I would start with. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other ones, right? There's Conscious Coaching by Brett Bartholomew. Brett Bartholomew, great another book. great, great option. Influencer is a good option. Um, there are a whole host of books beyond that. Once you start down that path, that can be super helpful. JB's new book, Changemaker, kind of touches on a whole bunch of these kind of concepts um, in like a comprehensive way. So I think there are lots of options and I would start exploring some of those. I don't know if there's necessarily a, a, a perfect starting point. Pick one, start there and then add some more. And then you'll start to see the pieces kind of connect and you'll start to practice and apply and build these skills over time. And you'll see your coaching practice change dramatically. Um, just for the people listening, every single book that Brian has mentioned is on my bookshelf. And, and so I'll echo everything you're saying. Um, the only one I haven't actually fully read yet is JB's new one. Cause I just got it. <laughs> so, right, it's like, brand new, right? Brand new. Right, I can see the hungry brain in your background, which yeah, is, uh, which, which is, is an, a great book. Another really, really good book. Um, I actually just finished that. Steven, the, the Dr. Steven, um, uh, he's actually coming on the podcast here in a couple weeks. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. So I'm really excited about that, but I think like a, a big takeaway too, for people listening is just knowing that your studying should go outside the realm of nutrition. Um, I get a lot of people that uh, we have a free, uh, a free ebook that we give away. And it basically answers every question. Like, here's what you need to know about meal timing, macronutrients, here's a calculator, here's how to adjust, here, like micronutrients, like everything you could think of if you're gaining, maintaining, performance, fat loss. And people are always like, well, why are you giving this all away? You're selling your job. I'm like, well, that's, that's not the job. That's the whole point. Um, even uh, I have a book right here I'm reading for the second time, uh, not for coaching, but I've taken a, it's the five love languages. I'm reading it for my relationship. Sure. But there's so many takeaways in that that help with coaching as well because you understand people's love language. You understand what makes people tick essentially. And, and I think the big takeaway is just understanding that communication is such a big role. I get the question about books all the time. Like, what are your top books? And it's never a new, like there's some great nutrition books I've read, but it's rarely ever nutrition books. It's usually motivational interviewing, the go-giver, the leader who had no title, like different depending on what we're talking about, but all these books that just help you be a better leader, a better coach, and a better communicator. Oh, without question. I mean, once you know the, the fundamental nutrition principles, like the principles don't change, mm -hmm. right? There are going to be new things we learn and new pieces of the puzzle we put into place, right? But when you have those big rocks, everything else you can learn after that is just the small rocks or, or the sand. Right? And, so, and you, you sh can and should learn those things. But if you want to maximize your effectiveness as a coach, at that point, it's not about learning more and more and more esoteric uh, nutrition practices. It's okay, what, now I have a strong skill set here. What other skill set do I need? Right? I and mean, what other skill set do I need? So it's building those other skills. And yeah, I mean, the, you can call it soft skills, call it what you want. It's, it's the most important thing is the actual interpersonal communication with, with clients. We have a whole certification built around that, like our level two certification as you've taken, um, the vast majority of it is about building coaching and communication skills to more effect, effectively facilitate change.
Mm-hmm. I think it's funny. I was actually listening to a podcast with, you know who uh, James Krieger is? I'm very well. So he was asked a question about um, basically like what exciting research he wants to see happen within nutrition. And he basically, he literally just said nothing. He was like, everything we need to know about nutrition has already been discovered. I'm really interested in what we can find out about training because there's so much more to be found. But with nutrition, we know fundamentally everything we need to know to create change for 90% of people. And I thought it was really cool for somebody who is so engulfed into science and research and I mean, if there's anybody who's like really only catering to the advanced population, that's the guy. And he even said that. And it just echoes what you just said. Yeah. And I think there's always, there's always more to learn, right? And to start to tease out like, okay, why do, why do you respond one way to one intake and I might respond differently? I mean, there's going to be, we're going to learn more about how to personalize intakes. We know the fundamental principles, right? And we have all kinds of ways of helping people personalize it. But there, there are going to be ways I'm imagining to discover those things sooner and faster based on, I mean, you can get into like genetics, epigenetics, you know, microbiome. I, it, there still are limitations, but it might be, okay, since this person has X, Y, and Z, they're now more likely to respond better to A, B, and C, right? Than just starting everyone general and then modifying it from there. There are likely going to be... Uh, more nuance in our understanding so long as the funding goes in the right directions as to who will respond best to what. I mean, you're already seeing some research trying this, right? Oh, we have insulin resistant people. If we have them try this diet or this diet, how do they respond, right? And so they're slowly starting to like peel back some of those layers. I mean, it's going to be years, years before we get better data. Um, I think you're going to see better data from people who have coached a lot of people, right? Because they see correlations, but we can start getting more definitive data on personalizing things sooner and faster or giving more clearer direction on personalization. Hey, based on this, you know, you're more likely to do better from X, Y, or Z, but does that suit your preferences? Like if not, you can still do, you know, uh, A, B, and C or one, two, and three, but it might go slower or you might not, you know, be as physiologically effective, but if it fits your preference, as long as you're making an informed choice, that's cool too. But for the most part, I agree with James. I mean, we know, we know the underlying principles, right? We know the fundamental things people need to do. Um, now it's about helping them do it consistently and, and reliably. So the, the, the last thing I want to ask you is, is kind of a selfish question. It's, it's come up as we started talking. This is the first time we've ever had a conversation. But something I've noticed um, just from, I mean, I've listened to a ton of interviews with John Berardi. I've read a lot of his work. Um, I, had, I did an interview with um, Krista. I've, I've listened to a couple of interviews you've done. A lot of you guys are very similar from a almost like an attitude perspective. Uh, And I mean that in a very good way, like uh, just your positive influence and the way you communicate and the way you connect with people. And I'm just curious about the culture inside of Precision Nutrition and I guess, A, how that has affected you as a coach and as a leader and as a human because I run a team and it's something that one of the biggest things I study from you guys ever since I started my team is just that, like, how do you guys have the culture you guys have? How do you guys have the, I guess, unity that you guys have? And then also, like, how do, like, what do you take away from that to lead your clients, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. I know that was kind of like a jumbled question, but I'm really curious about this because you guys have a really powerful culture and it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think we try, you know, like really hard to have um, a strong culture at PN that where, where we actually like live our values. You know, I think I believe. Uh, I think this past year we actually published like our internal company values um, and we're transparent about them, right? It's not a, it's not a company that's like, uh, we don't have a corporate ladder to climb the way we're structured. We use something called holacracy 
where everyone just fills certain roles. Um, there isn't like a, there are no managers of people. There are managers of projects, right, to help, you know, keep things going, but there are no like people managers. There are people leaders, um, but even that's, you know, somewhat of a misnomer. So I think that's a key part of it. Like the way we're structured isn't what you'd consider like a normal business structure where it's like, oh, you're, you're not, where you're competing with coworkers for a promotion. Mm-hmm. We don't have that. Right? There's no like competition for a promotion that doesn't, just doesn't exist. Um, you fill roles and you do certain things and you collaborate with coworkers who have other roles to, to accomplish awesome things, to make great projects and um, put out good work. So, and if we do really well, then everyone gets rewarded. So it's not, it's not like this, competitive environment where it's like okay i'm kind of i'm kind of hoping cody has a bad day and and like sucks today so i can get that promotion like that's not like fostering like a good work culture right so we we have a culture that's much more collaborative uh everyone's working together and you know i think it kind of stems from the top like when i joined pn there was only 20 people um and that's when they first started taking on holacracy and like jb and phil who who co-founded pn with, with jb like they intentionally sought um, a business structure where it wasn't like just them being the bosses and everyone having to answer to them and creating that kind of corporate culture. They wanted a, a culture where people collaborated and worked together um, where it was inclusive. And it's, I think too often it's, it's thought of as like democratic. It's not really democratic. It, it uses something called like integrative decision-making. So in my role, right. I'm, I might make the final final decision maker on a certain thing, but I'm kind of obligated to get the perspectives of other people who that's going to affect. So I might reach out to Krista or JB or a whole bunch of other people and we're sitting together and we're discussing, you know, what this might cause, what this might do. And ultimately I just, I still make the decision. Okay. Integrate all their perspectives, took them all into consideration. I'm doing X. Now Krista may not like it, but I had to make a decision, right? And it's, and it's my authority to do it. So it's not democratic and like people are voting. It's, it just integrates different perspectives and it seeks to do that intentionally so that we're all people whose, whose roles uh, have a say, get to have their say and they're integrated and, and utilized, but ultimately like they're a decision maker. So I think holacracy is a big part of it, but it's also just, um, you know, we hire people who are looking for certain things in people, not just intelligence, but emotional intelligence, like you mentioned. We're looking for communication skills particularly because we all work remotely, right? So you need strong communication skills. You need to be able to collaborate. You need to be resilient because it's still tough. I'm, I, am, I get to make a decision and Krista may not like it. Well, she's just got to roll with it and we might change that decision later on. Um, but it's definitely a, a culture that I think, you know, we, we are transparent about our values and we try and live those values on a daily basis. We don't value, you know, like that competitive work environment or a workaholism or we look for, or we want people to have a work-life balance because we think they're going to actually do their best work when they're able to sharpen the saw, right? As Stephen Covey would say, do other things, have other outside awesome interests. And then when they come to work, they're excited. They're, they feel like their work is purposeful and meaningful. They're contributing to something that's larger than themselves, right? Helping people change their eating or helping other coaches learn to do the same thing. So I think there's a whole, a whole series of pieces that go into it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think our, our culture at PN has been shaped over years. And I think JB, a lot of it comes down from the top, like, you know, JB wanting it to be a certain way and Krista wanting it to be a certain way. And then other people who have come on, uh, like Tim Jones, who's our basically our CEO, even though it's technically not our term internally, 
right? I've been here a long time and, and we just perpetuate that, that culture because it's helpful and beneficial. And I think we end up making a great work environment out of it. So I love that. It's really, yeah. It's really cool to hear that insight. Um, a lot of that actually, I don't know if you've read delivering happiness. Um, I think that's what no. it's called. It's, it's, it's from the owners of Zappos and it's basically just, mm-hmm. just all about their culture and how they did. And they it's use democracy. Yeah, exactly. And it's a very, very similar story. Um, and inside of that, they talk about releasing their core values. And I read it and I was actually, it was funny because I read it and it was right before I was do, giving a speech at, at an event in Arizona. I just uh, attended and I added that to one of my slides because it was, my, my talk was about uh, using content to help educate people um, before they even become your clients. This is all just about like organic free content creation. And I was talking about my core values. So I sent out a big team email and I was like, I want everybody to just tell me their core values uh, individually and what you feel like they are as a team. And I just want to hear your thoughts. We're going to like kind of release these. And it was so cool for me as leader to, to see everybody's so close to what mine were. Um, and I'm sure you guys had a very similar thing because I think you, you guys attract very similar people. And I think that's why I see so much of like JB and you and, and Krista and you and, and you and Krista and JB and Krista. And like every, every time I have a conversation with you guys, it, I'm like, it's so powerful because it, it almost is, um, and this sounds funny, but I think it's really cool because it's welcoming. And I'm sure for clients and people who come to PN, it's very helpful because they come in and they feel welcomed because you guys all have the same mindset and attitude. Yeah, and I think I think that's intentional, right? Like mm-hmm. we're trying to be welcoming. And I think it's funny that you say like that you see a lot of the three of us and I think in, in each other and, and the three of us have worked closely together for many years. So I think there's part of that's like osmosis, you know, like I pick up things from JB and JB picks up things from Krista. And I think some of that's just... Um, by interacting with some of these people to, you know, for so many years on so many different projects and you get to see their perspective and I hadn't thought of it that way. And then you start to think of things from that lens. Um, And yeah, we all have a growth mindset, right. And we're all trying to learn from each other and, and be, be better. Right. So I think we all kind of have that growth mindset from the outset. So when we see someone do something in a way like, wow, I never would have thought of it that way, but that's, that's really, that's phenomenal we try to emulate some of that. How can I incorporate some of that thinking into my own life? Or how can I start thinking about things partly at least through, through that lens, right? Add that lens to my repertoire of how I'm thinking things through. So yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's like an intentional part of how we work. I love it. I think that's a great, great thing to finish on just for people to take away is how important your environment is and in, in being growth minded and essentially that you attract what you are. So if you want to surround yourself with a certain type of people, or if you want to become a certain type of person, surround yourself with that person or start acting that way and you'll probably attract those people. So um, I do want to respect your time. We've been on here for about an hour. I could probably talk to you about 18 more topics, but I want to thank you for your time. It's been a blast, man. It was really exciting for me as a, a former PN student and somebody who has built a business off a lot of the philosophies that you guys share. And now we coach hundreds of people around the world. So it's, I thank you for everything you do. Um, before I let you go, is there anything you want to shout out just as far as where to find you, where to follow, um, how to get more information on PN and the certs and all that stuff. Anything you have to plug, please plug now. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to find anything from me individually. <laughs> uh, I, I am not a, a big user of, of social media um, intentionally. I got lots of other things going on, right? But I mean, in terms of finding out stuff about what I'm working on and what we're doing at PN, I mean, we have got a lot of moving parts. So you can always check out precisionnutrition.com or you can see what all of our, our products and services are. Um, you can check us out on Instagram. You can check us out on, on Facebook and Twitter, right? We have a team of people always kind of sharing our stuff. And you can you can kind of ease yourself in. We've got a free blog, right? You can get awesome, just much like your your free ebook, right? We give tons of awesome information out 
free. Um, if you're interested in getting coached, right, we have our, our coaching is opening up um, beginning of next month, right, PN Coaching. If you're interested in getting a certification, like our level one certification, um, if you want to coach people in nutrition, as you talked about, it's, I think is awesome. Uh, we have our, our newest edition just came out in October, and it's the best thing I think we've ever created. So I know I'm super proud of it, and you can learn more about it right on our website. So yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and try and just plug products, but I think you can learn you know, a ton about what we offer and what we, we do just by reading our, some of our stuff for free on our site or, or on our social media accounts. I love it. If, if anybody is listening to this, uh, likes what I do, which I would assume you do if you're listening to this, um, I've taken away a lot from them. I've taken all their certifications. I have most of their books. So um, I'll put everything in the show notes. I highly suggest you go check out their website. Go check out everything you can. Coaches, go get certified. Um, Ryan, thank you again for your time, man. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, man. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at Cody at BoomBoomPerformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here, and I'll see you next time.